an afternoon standing is we're going to read the scripture. We've been in the series on signs and, and the fact that they are significant. When we, when John writes this, he is seeking to point us to the fact that, that God is not just about us getting more knowledge. He's not thrilled that we are just in a classroom in a setting hearing this. He wants to actively be involved in your life. And he shows up often in ways that come in signs. They point to his presence. They point you to him. And they cause you, they say often signs and wonders, because they cause you to begin to wonder, this God lives with me. That's what I want you to know. That's what what Jesus wants you to know. That's why John wrote this this gospel. So let's listen to these words in John chapter 6. Verses 16 through 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across for the lake of Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Father, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit, that our hearts would be able to hear, that you would speak to us individually. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you're seated, turn to someone and tell them your favorite lake, maybe where it's at, or maybe why. Just take a moment. Well, you don't want to do that to a Minnesota or a Michigan crowd because there's just too many lakes that are your favorite. Um, Jesus uses the favorite lake of his and his disciples, that Lake Galilee, which many of you here see of Galilee. It's just a huge lake. To do all kinds of things and through it teach us things about him that we could never know or learn. And this is just one of those stories. And I think John includes this story It's in the other gospel accounts as well. But he includes this specifically right after the feeding of the 5,000 because what he's seeking to do is to teach us what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to know something about being a follower of Jesus. In a sense, what his purpose is for us. He kind of shares with us in, in, in that sense how he will provide for us his provision. He, he then begins to say, you know, in this, you're going to have pressures and then my presence will be with you and I will bring you to the place you need to be. A lot of peas there, right? Let's just get into this story. John 16, verse 16 through 17. John 6, 16 through 17. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, and where they got into a boat set off across for the lake Capernaum. But now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. It's important that we understand what had just transpired. He had just fed the 5,000. He had got them to get all the bread together in, in baskets. And, and he disperses the crowd. And we're told in verse 15 these words. Jesus, knowing that they, the people he had just fed, were so excited about who he was and what he was doing and all the miracles, they believed he was the Messiah to come. The new David. He would start the new revolution. And so they intended To make him king by force. It wasn't just a request. We're going to lead you right up there. And you're going to lead us. And Jesus withdrew to a mountain by himself. 
Now, John only states that Jesus withdrew, but Mark gives us a little more information. If you look at Mark chapter 6, 46, you can write that down, look at it some other time. Jesus, it says, went off into the hills to pray because he was feeling the pressure of the crowd. And you might just call it peer pressure. Anybody had peer pressure? Anybody had that kind of pressure where you feel pressured to perform or to conform in a certain way? And, and, and you have that happening in your life? Well, here's what Jesus shows us. He shows us when he feels that kind of pressure, he would, he would have a practice. He would get away and he would listen to a deeper pressure within his heart, which is the pressure of God and his Holy Spirit. He would listen to him and not to the voices around them. We find that again and again. So Mark and Luke, they tell us a lot about these kind of experiences, but specifically in Mark, after one long day of ministry, Jesus has preached in the morning, in the afternoon he goes over to get something to eat at Peter's mother-in-law's house, she's ill, he heals her, and then when the sun sets, it says all of Capernaum, it's thousands of people, it says are outside his door, and that whole night he is healing them, and he goes to bed that night exhausted, but listen to what Mark tells us. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Mark one thirty-five. The next morning, the disciples wake up. Jesus is gone. There's a large crowd once again gathering. The disciples can't find Jesus. The crowd want to make him kind of the, the great healer, the teacher. They're, they're, there's a pressure again on Jesus. Jesus goes away. They look for him. They find Jesus. And I think it's Peter, because Peter would usually be the one to say things. He said, Jesus, here's my paraphrase. I mean, let's start the campaign. You are a star. So Jesus, exhausted. Anybody exhausted after a hard day work? And, and, And what Jesus does, he goes, you know, I need to get refocused. I need to be repurposed. And Jesus' answer throws them. Let's go somewhere else. Forget the crowd. Let's go to nearby villages so I can preach there also. And and then he says, that is why I have come. He gets tuned into his father's purpose. And so once again, the pressure rises and he goes off into the hills. He's praying because they want to by force make him king. Verse 18, then a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. To understand Lake Galilee, this Sea of Galilee as we often refer to it, it lies about 600 feet below sea level. And what happens is cool air will rush in from the southeastern tablelands. They'll just kind of fly through that tableland and they'll come into the warm, moist air of the lake, which is created by this bowl, and, and it creates, in a sense, these storms that, like, you think of a bowl, a smaller bowl, and you go like this, you know how the water just is all over the place? That's what happens. Let me show you. Here's a picture of what Galilee looks like. And so as it rushes in through that, you, you get these violent storms. And, and just here's another one. That, this is a selfie that, that Peter took. <clears throat> now, this is Rembrandt's. This is the stilling of the storm. But let me tell you this. The stilling of the storm is a different miracle. It is one that occurred before this. So they had already experienced the presence and power of God through Jesus to still storms, which if you read through the Old Testament and and you see the word sea and and things like that, it's often associated with chaotic powers, anything that stands against God. And you'll see in Psalm 107, I can point you to different places where it says that God is one who walks on the water, it says in one of the Psalms. Another one is he, he stills the storm. So they kind of are trying, kind of getting what's going on. And so here he is. 
in the midst of praying and the storm is surging and he is seeing it. And we're told then in the next verse that when they had rowed, here he is watching, the storm is, is getting more violent, and they had rowed about three or four miles. Now the more than likely, the Sermon on the Mount, this um, feeding of the 5,000 and all these, a number of these miracles probably occurred in a similar place. They were probably what would be in the northeast side of that lake, and over on the northwest side would be Capernaum. So that mileage they kind of estimate today, they can do it, is about five to six miles. So they're about three to four miles is what John tells us. So they're maybe two-thirds or more of the way there. And Jesus has been looking at them. And you get this picture of Jesus praying. Father, as they're kind of maybe a mile or two out and the storm hasn't yet hit them, Father, the people want to make me an earthly king. They, they're so enthralled with me giving them bread. They want me to just fit into their story. They don't want me to be the bread, which gives them life so that they can fit into your story and really live out what you've called each and every one of us to live out. They're more about wanting to serve what they're about and and Father, I'm just praying, how do I, with the pressures of this, how do we, how do we ever introduce this whole reality that they've been called and will find their greatest fulfillment when they serve you? And they begin to start to ask, how do I fit into your story? How do I fit into the way you've created me? How do I begin to release the dreams within me that are, that are placed there by you? How do I get to know myself such that as I do that, I will actually See you work. I will experience signs and wonders, and, and 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 truly understand that you are walking with me. Oh, Father, why is the people? Why do they want to continually walk without you? And as he's looking at the storm, <clears throat> he's also praying as he sees them. Oh, Father, give me patience. Those guys in the boat—will they ever get it, Dad? Will they ever understand? It's not about them and their greatness. But it's about you and your greatness. And you get this picture of Jesus interceding for them in the midst of a coming storm and in the midst of a storm. And the Father, through the Holy Spirit, because you have to understand Jesus was both man and God. And he, as it says in Philippians, set aside those, um, the omnis, if you want to put it that way, in order that he might be like us and depend whole, totally on the Spirit, never without sin. And so the Father, through the Holy Spirit, says to him, they need your help. I think you need to go down and help them. And so we're, we read <clears throat> that Jesus makes his ways to disciples, and, and as he says that he walks on the storm-tossed waters. And the word in the Greek is not that he's like, oh, I'm going to get there yet. It's like he's walking like this and the thing, you know, trying. He just imagine his bowl of the pressure of the storm and how violent it is. And he's just, he's just walking out to them. Mark makes an interesting point at, at one, and at this, at this place in the story. He says in verses 48 through 50 of chapter 6 in Mark, he says, the disciples saw him and they were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake and he was about to pass them by. I go, what? But when they saw him walking in the lake and thought they thought he was a ghost, they cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. 
But they call out to him and they call to him as he says here and, and they were willing to bring him into the boat. I think it's kind of funny in my mind because I think of how often in my own life I'm straining, I'm doing everything in my power, I'm trying to manipulate to make circumstances happen, I'm doing what I can to make things happen in my story and sometimes even in God's story. And Jesus is kind of just going... Anybody have that right now? And he's kind of walking by and you're going, is there a ghost? Is that really him out there? And he is. He's right there. He's right there. And out the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God is standing there waiting, possibly going to walk by if you don't want to call him in. And I just want to challenge you. I want you to think, this is what I want you to do. If you are in that place right now, just say, Jesus, get in the boat with me. Just get in the boat with me. I need you more then I need all the straining and all the effort that I'm going to do in my own flesh and my own strength. And then John says, they saw him approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened, thinking it was a ghost. Verse 20, but he said to them, it is I. The actual Greek word is just the word I am. I, I honestly think his answer to them was it is I, but I think John, this is another one of these significant moments. As you're reading it, he wants you to recognize what God the Father calls himself, I am. He's always kind of interlacing almost a double meaning here. He says, it is I. And then he makes this little statement. Don't be afraid. Now, you can read this, depending on where you're coming from, you can read it as judgment or condemnation. You can read it with, don't be afraid. Or you can maybe hear it the way that I believe Jesus said it. Guys, don't be afraid. Well, he might be saying it to you right now, not with guilt, not condemnation. That's the way the Father always comes to us. He loves us so much. He doesn't, he's not coming to you in circumstances where you're like, he's just saying, don't be afraid. You know, whenever he says that, what that means is within your reach, within your reach is the grace of God to meet your situation. Think about that. Within your reach is the grace of God to come into that situation you're in, to get in the boat, to do what he needs to do. And here's, a, here's something that you find. You see at one point, the stilling of the storm, they're in a storm. There's another point where some actual biblical New Testament historians believe there was another time when when Jesus walked in the water and then Peter came to him. Some think this might be the same, but some think there's another one. And just the idea is, we will probably, here's something that the word of God tells you, you will go through the same lesson over and over and over again till you kind of pass the test. Now, God doesn't do that because he doesn't like you. God does that because he loves you so much that he wants you to begin to stretch the muscle of faith in this situation. He wants you to begin to stretch it in faith so that you can see his sign, his wonder, his way of moving in this situation, whatever it looked like. And as he does so, as the sign points you to him, it will also point to you how much he loves you. Some of you have been sitting in, in a church situation for years and years and years. And, and you, maybe like me, there's been a kind of a, a, a wall around your heart for whatever reason, maybe a wound when you're younger, whatever it is, that just protects you from that authentic experience that God really, 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 really loves you. 
And he just says, guys, it's me. And he uses the phrase, this little command. It is the most repeated command in scripture. It is the most repeated command in scripture is not love me. You think God would say that? The most repeated command in scripture is don't fear. I'm an arm's length away and within reach for my grace and my goodness in my presence to be with you. Yeah, I know you're in a cave, David, but I can be right here with you. So here's what I want to share with you in these moments that we have. God has called us to serve him, and when we serve him, we will. We will see signs, we will see wonders, we will walk because it's a very personal walk. It's not a classroom. He's called you to live out your life right where you work, so that as you watch and live with him, you will actually, as you serve others and pray for them, you will actually see God begin to move. If your heart is to do that, you will see God move. If your work is just about making more money and, and there's nothing wrong with that, okay? But if that's your seeking first in your life, you won't see the other things added to you in that way. You may see a whole lot of material things, but you will not see the work of God, the signs, the experience of this personal walk with him like he wants you to know. Where you live, where you go to school, when you serve... And you're about God's purposes, you will begin to see the power and presence of God move, but you will also experience storms. And even in those storms, you will experience his presence. This is kind of what he wanted the disciples to understand. Guys, look at, we just did the feeding of 5,000, and, and so now here's what he, he, he wants them to know next. Let's just kind of tune this back for a second. There are five specific truths that I would like for you to remember. The first truth is this, we are called to serve. That's the purpose. When you sign up to follow Jesus, it's not signing up saying, God, I want you to bless my story. It's saying, God, I want to be in your story. And so I'm in your story. I want to figure out how you want to work through me. The reason we're here as a church is imagine a church that does whatever it takes to serve, not ourselves, so we can get bigger, we can get better programming. We can do it. It's merely to do this. How do we reach those around us with this incredible love of God? We are on assignment Not my assignment, not the elder's assignment, not this church's assignment. We are on what Jesus has assigned us to do. And we always got to stay attuned to what that is. So the first thing he says is, you've been called to serve. And to understand this, you got to go back to the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Because it's an interesting thing. They feed the, Jesus feeds the 5,000. The disciples are very much involved in the feeding. In fact, When they get done, do you remember how many baskets they pick up? It wasn't five. Wasn't nine. One fifteen. How many? Twelve. Why twelve? That's interesting. Because each disciple was holding a basket of bread. Full of bread. Full of life-giving substance. The sign that is significant here was for them to understand, guys, guess what? You're the ones who are going to, after me, my death and my resurrection, you're the ones who are going to carry the bread of life to people all around you. Your assignment, my assignment, is to carry the bread of life to people all around us. There were 12 because there were 12 
There is a basket full of bread for each and every one of us. There are people that are around us that, that God is saying, there's bread that I, that as you pray and you have opportunity, you might just give them some, some of that life. It may be as simple as, as beginning to say, God, I'm going to pray for this person. And God, I'm going to watch where you're moving. And then maybe at some point when a person just is going through a difficult time, you just say, you know, could I just, I'm going to be praying for you. Can I pray for you? I, I can tell you, I, I don't know of one person that I've ever asked where they said, no, don't pray for me. Now you may get that. So he says, here's your assignment. You have been called to serve. You have been called to serve within the kingdom in the realm of God. And that realm is all around you, right where you live. So as we move into the spring to serve time where we're, do, we're emphasizing serving, what we're emphasizing is serve right where you're at. We'd love for you to serve at times, to do whatever it takes to, to serve like this next Friday night. We'd love for you to serve like that. We'd love for you to, to invite a, a, a Chinese student or so in or a couple of them into your home at Easter. We'd love for you to do that, but we also want you to know that you have a personal assignment where you live, whether you go to school, in your neighborhood, with your friends that you socialize with at work. Now here's the other thing I want you to know. And you have to continue back on this. The second truth is this, that Jesus will provide what you need. Because here's what happens so often in, in these situations. You go, Jesus, I want you to serve. Here's what I want you to do. And you're going, I can't do that. When, when, when the disciples were standing before Jesus and he saw this massive crowd and it says Jesus had compassion on them like a shepherd. Mark tells us this. They're wanting him to send the crowd away, but Jesus has in his heart to feed them. I mean, that's like me so often. God, I'm just wiped out, tired, and God's going, oh, I have compassion for that person. Oh my God, I'm just so tired, I just want to go home. Oh, I'd rather not get up and go make this visit, whatever it would be. And he goes, but I have compassion for that person. And then he said to them, in Mark, he says, he says to him, Philip, you feed them. And he's going, what? Are you kidding me? Take a year's wages to feed all these people. You gotta be kidding me. And one little guy, Andrew, the one disciple, very quiet, kind of, you know, just an includer kind of person. He goes, you know, Jesus, and as, 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 as you probably imagine, he's probably feeling a little bit foolish and all the guys are going, he goes, this guy's got, you know, few barley loaves, five of them and two fish. What do you think? And, and everyone's going, Andrew, give me a break. And Jesus goes, that's good. I can use what he has. He can use what you have. He doesn't put you on an assignment. He does not put a purpose in your life without providing what's needed for it. Here's what happens. When we're in those situations, our natural tendency is to look to ourselves. It's just the way we are built. And, and Jesus is going, oh, I'm trying to teach you again and again. I have called you to serve. And when I call you to serve, just guess what? When you, re- like Andrew, take that step of faith, you could feel foolish, whatever it is. But if you just trust the little you have that I've given you, that small ability, just if you in faith just say, I'm going to step into it. He comes behind you with signs that point to him, with wonders that cause people to go, wow. 
God's at work. I challenge you. I challenge you to do that. Because God is concerned about the person that he has placed before you, and he's concerned about his reputation. And so John says it a little bit differently. He doesn't say, you give them something to eat. John puts it this way. He asks them, and, and they go, where shall we buy bread for these people? And then he says, he asked them this only to test them. Now, he doesn't give tests to try and make you fail. He, he's not giving you tests to trick you. Every test is a way to prove greater faith in you. And here's what you have to know. When Jesus puts before you a situation that's beyond your ability, he's called you, you're on assignment, the purpose is to serve him, is to be a part of his story. And as you begin to step into that story, he will always provide. Listen to what he says. It says that when, and this is the cool part, Jesus already knew what he was going to do to meet the need. He says he did this to test him for he already knew, had in mind what he was going to do. Do you know that? Do you know that when Jesus calls you to something and then he's calling you in faith to act and you're feeling like, I can't do that. I mean, this is too big of a dream. I can't even take the first step into it. He goes, guess what? I already know what I'm going to do. He already has planned how he'll provide. He's just waiting for you to put faith in him. He's waiting for you to do it. And every one of these signed miracles we've seen is kind of the key to it. It's this question. Will you do whatever he tells you, says Mary to the servants? Or like the angel, the royal official who is some 30 miles away, will you take Jesus at his word and depart in obedience? Or like the guy healed at the pool, he just says to him, rise up, take your mat and go. So when the word of God comes to you and he begins to speak to you, he says, I will provide, I will take care of you. And then here's this, the thing you also need to realize. Is that when he says, I will provide for you and I will care for you, the next thing you under, need to understand, which is, I can't, I don't like this part. This is the part I don't like. You will face storms. Okay? You're, you're going to find pressures. You're going you're gonna to start walking into it and going, whoa, where are you? Jesus, didn't you tell us to get in this boat? I thought, you know, you said you're going to go up in the hills and then you told us, go get in the boat and get across the sea. And they're about three to four miles into it and they're in the midst of this incredible storm. And, and that's not the way I want my life with God to be. Anybody, would, would you rather not ever have a storm? Nobody likes, like David, to live in cave experiences. But I can tell you that whenever you sacrifice and stretch out in faith, it's going to hurt. It's going to, it's going to stretch that muscle. And in that time of stretching, um, it's going to be like, ah, I can't do it, I can't do it. And God goes, no, you can't, you can't keep going. Uh, the storms can be all kinds of things. It's so amazing to me when people make a faith commitment to God. It usually seems like their first six months, it's like everything goes right. I mean, God starts to provide this, and this happens, and this happens. And about six months into it, they face the first bit of pressure. The storm comes into their life, and they're going, Are you kidding me? I thought I signed up for God to do something in my life. Look at my life now. We've got relational problems you know, in our marriage. Our kids are doing this. My work, I've lost this. And it's just like, what's going on? And God's going, you know what? I am through this going to teach you. Not that he causes these things, but through these things, I am going to teach you how to trust in me and watch you as you trust in me begin to see you 
See, you'll see me provide for what you need. But you will face storms. You'll have storms. And he will allow them. It'll be painful. It'll stretch you. And I think at times you will wonder, and you may be wondering this right now, has Jesus left me? Uh, Andrew Habeis and our pastor of prayer and worship sent me this little devotional thought this week, and I thought I'd read it. I hear his whisper, wait on me. So now this, to hear a whisper, you gotta get quiet, right? You gotta get out of the storm for a moment. You gotta get up in the hills. You gotta get up early in the morning to get a place where it's dark, you know, it's still dark, get away. I hear his whisper, wait on me. I've seen your love, your desire to please me. Many times you have chosen me above all else, and I am pleased. But you are growing weary. You've waited upon me, and I say keep waiting on me, and I will not disappoint you. What you call delay, I call preparation. Many times I'm at work behind the scenes, yet you cannot discern it. I will fulfill my word. And your eyes will see the miracles of my hand. You will experience his presence. And some of the preparation isn't about you. It's about people outside of you. It's things that he needs to prepare for him to do the work that needs to do. What you call delay, I call preparation. Many times I'm at work behind the scenes, yet you cannot discern it. I heard someone say once that, you know, you can usually see two or three things that God is doing, but there's about a hundred that you don't have any idea. And then the fourth truth is really interesting to me. You're in the storm, and what you need to know is when you're in the storm, you know when it says the eye is on the sparrow, that song? What's really cool about this is that when you're in the storm, Jesus, he was on the hill, he was interceding for them. Whatever storm you may find yourself in as you're serving, his eye is on you right now. He's actually interceding for you. He's interceding and and at the right time, at the right moment, he'll get up and he'll move into the situation where he will be within your grasp. He will be ready for you to receive the grace that you need at that moment. And that grace is always most this. Jesus is present. He's with you. So he comes down. He's walking in the water. He has no trouble getting over the boat. He goes over the boat. Mark tells us he was going to possibly walk by. He is spotted by the disciples. They think he's a ghost. They start calling out to him. And he says, it's I. It is I. Guys, don't be afraid. When he says, don't be afraid, he says, I'm within reach right now. Within reach. As you begin to calm down, you begin to step into this with faith, and you continue to trust me, guess what? You're within reach of my presence. And then it says they were willing. That's a big word. That's the huge word for all of us. What is your will with regard to God? Every one of you have a will. Sometimes you don't even use it. So often we can be, I, I know this experience where you can have thoughts and things come, and you don't take the will to choose to know what is the right thought to believe. You have a will. They willingly said, Jesus, you look like a ghost, but get in the boat with us. And Jesus gets into the boat and he's present with them. 
John is unique in recording this reality. He said he knew the Father's timing. Jesus would often say, the hour hasn't come. And he would say that again and again because he knew even in his own life that for the full revelation, the provision of God for salvation and life for all people, it would come at a certain point. Sometimes you're in a storm and and the hour isn't right yet. But Jesus intercedes and he will be present with you. Although he may not be early, he is never late. Never late. And the last is this, Jesus will get you safely home. This is possibly an allusion to Psalm 107. As early as 200 AD, one of the church fathers, his name was Origen, noted this and and made special note of this. Psalm 107, listen to these words. I'm going to read them to you. This is what is in the mindset of a a good Hebrew young child who had studied the Bible. They saw the works of the Lord and his wonderful deeds in the deep sea, for he spoke and stirred up the tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Sounds like someone was there with the disciples, right? Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and brought them, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper and the waves of the sea were hushed. Folks, this was written in David's house years ago. And they were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Willingly, they took him into his boat, and immediately they reached shore. Some think that maybe the immediately was another miracle. Some just think it was just John's way, again, of a sign saying, when you invite Jesus into your situation, he will guarantee that you will get to where he's called you to. He who has begun a good work in you will be the one to complete it. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Do you know that? That's a wonderful thing. When your desires start up to match up with God and you start to walk with him and you begin to say, I'm going to serve your purposes. And as you begin to serve his purposes, you begin to see his provision. And as you begin to see his provisions of signs and wonders, you begin to be amazed at the fact that when the pressures come, he is willingly praying for us. And then he's making himself present to us in our experience. And when he does that, here's the promise. He will get you where those same desires he's placed in your heart are meant to be. Ultimately, for each and every one of us, it is to be in the presence of God, whether it's living it now or it's living it someday when this earth is gone and we are with him in his presence, what is called heaven, the new creation, the new heaven and earth. And he says, there's nothing that can keep you from it. Your sin can't keep you from it. Your guilt can't keep you from it. There is nothing that can keep you. And some other person can't. The pressure that comes on you, this storm that you're in, it can't keep you from it. Because there's one more powerful. There's one far more loving who has taken your sin, who has taken your guilt, who's removed your shame, who has said, guess what? Walk with me, follow me. If I tell you to get in a boat, you're going to get there. You're going to get there. And why is it we don't follow? It's usually pride. We would rather trust ourselves. We would rather trust our abilities. We'd rather trust our wisdom. You know, God, we don't quite understand how it is at my work. 
God, you don't really understand what it's like living with this person. God, you don't really understand what it's like being alone for the last five years. God, you still don't understand. You don't understand. And Jesus goes, I've been tested in every way just like you. But here's the difference. Jesus never gave in to that that temptation. We've learned to protect ourselves, I have, from wounds of others. And and so in the process of protecting ourselves, we, we choose not to trust God. But here's what I want you to know. God isn't about protecting old wounds. Did you know that? God is not concerned about protecting your old wound. What God is concerned about is healing it. But he doesn't want you to be any longer identified with it. He wants you to be identified fully with him. So if you choose to follow Jesus, what, what this passage is saying is that he is with you, he is in control, and he will get you to the shore of your heart's longing. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, and we're going to close this time in a time of prayer. And I just want you to pay attention to how the Holy Spirit has been working. It's really been interesting over the last few weeks, the way the Holy Spirit has been working. I've had people share with me. I wasn't even here last week, and I've heard a number of stories already that that people have felt um, overwhelmed to the point where they've been just in tears. There have been people who, as they've been listening, their heart has been kind of trembling. The, the Bible says sometimes your heart burns. So it said when Jesus was walking with these two uh, disciples after his resurrection. Sometimes, as you've been sitting here, you've heard a word, a spontaneous word, or a phrase, or a scripture I don't know, but I know God has been speaking and we want to give time for for God to do that. So I'm going to ask, as you guys kind of would just play, I'm going to ask you just in in the spirit of prayer and as we just move into a place. over these last few weeks. I know he's speaking even now. And sometimes all he wants you to do is like little Samuel when he kept hearing this voice. Finally, the priest came to him and said, just just say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. The Lord is speaking to your heart right now. Just tell him, I'm listening. Lord, I'm listening. 